is Chicago's all-news station. News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. Great to have you with us for the Wednesday edition of the Noon Business Hour. I'm Cisco Cotto. The Noon Business Hour is presented by the Village of Bedford Park. The latest with the Bears. In fact, right now, a purchase agreement has been signed for the Arlington Park property in the northwest suburbs, raising questions about the future of the franchise and also Soldier Field. Joining us, Mark Gannis, President Co-Founder, Sports Corp Limited here in Chicago. Uh, Mark, help us to understand what is in this for the Bears if they do indeed choose to leave Soldier Field? Uh, most importantly, they control their own destiny. They will be their own landlords. They will not have to, uh, you know, go go to the Chicago Park District or the City of Chicago, uh, cup in hand, asking for uh, for some to borrow some sugar. They will be able to control everything that they want to do. Build a stadium that maximizes both revenues and fan engagement. Uh, they will uh, be they will be able to do everything from uh, have naming rights to build a sports book on property uh, to uh, maximize. Uh, seating suites club seats and the like uh, and it is both an economic decision as well as uh, the idea of controlling their own future rather than their future being controlled uh, to a degree by local politicians that of course then moves to the flip side i mean is there any sort of downside for the bears in making a move like this Sure, there's uh, there's there's risk associated with having to raise two billion dollars to build a stadium. Uh, that that'll come from a variety of sources. Uh, the NFL will certainly participate. They'll have contract. They'll have debt from their uh, contractually obligated income streams. They're going to have to pay debt service. They're going to have to pay operating expenses, capital improvement expenses. So there are and of course and as and we haven't even talked about potential cost overruns on the stadium. So there are significant responsibilities that the Bears would would assume. But we have seen around the NFL that when teams take control of their own destinies, in almost every case, they have advanced their, their own situations and that of their fans. Given the more than 300 acres in Arlington Heights, uh, the fact that the property is not landlocked and, and I, I should say waterlocked too with the lake, uh, does it present them w with way more opportunities, even if the city came to the table and said, all right, we'll totally revamp that area along the lakefront? It seems like there's just more possibilities in this place in Arlington Heights many more possibilities and that that is the the the, the trend which is to have uh, additional development around or or near uh, the the stadium itself so that things like the parking and infrastructure and, and and mass transit that that goes to the site isn't just for the for the events that take place in the stadium but also can serve uh, everything from retail to, to entertainment to hotels and things of that nature uh, there's there is relatively little the city can do to to retain the bears in Soldier Field proper, it's just—it's it, just a limited facility. Frankly, it was 25 years ago when they did the deal originally, but it was the best of a of the lot of, of options. And then we know from the Lucas Museum having tremendous opposition against it, if you recall, so much so that it, that it went to San Francisco. That there are those people who believe that the lakefront should always be open. They'll they'll oppose anything just about that is uh, that that's a new development on the lakefront. So that's another uncertainty uh, that that would exist even if the the mayor and the state could get through the toxicity of our current political environment. Would the bears, if they do this move, would they have to figure out? We you talk about restaurants and entertainment and that sort of thing but do you want this huge stadium sitting empty you know most days out of the year or do you have to figure out a way to fill it with other activities other entertainment options 
you, you need to uh, figure out a way to have other entertainment uh, and public assembly options that, that would take place in the building, whether it's in part of the building, on the field, uh, or in, in the club areas. And the, the Bears won't have to be figuring it, this out um, on their own. Uh, we have experiences now where, where stadiums around the NFL uh, have been built by the teams and programmed by the teams, and they have ideas and experience and, and uh, promoters who want to come into an NFL stadium. This site is an excellent site, the Arlington Park site. It has mass transit. It has um, highway road access. It's a place people are used to going and is a site that handles tens of thousands of people on a regular basis. Uh, so this is this is almost this almost fell from the heavens for the Bears when uh, Churchill Downs decided to sell it. Yeah, a piece of property. I mean, it's, it's really a, a property like no other. Thanks, Mark Gannis, president, co-founder, Sports Corp Limited. Let's welcome Andrew Bush to the program, former chief markets intelligence officer at the Commodity Futures Trading Commission. He's an economist found online at andrewbush.com. Uh, Andy, this in, this debt ceiling, uh, you, you want to talk about uh, issues with infrastructure and these other bills. Uh, surprising, ordinarily, the divide is between Republican and Democrat. And in this case, you have the Democrats unable to really agree on the path forward. Yeah, I mean, there's so many things going on in Washington over the next couple of days. But the first thing that they have to do is pass what's called a continuing resolution to fund the government. And the Senate is working on that right now. They're going to pass what's called a clean bill. There's only a couple of things attached. Republicans are on board with that. They'll get it over to the House sometime later today. By Thursday, uh, the House will vote on it. That'll extend funding the government until December. So if they didn't do that, then you'd have to go through a shutdown, which occurred in in um, the end of uh, in 2019, believe it or not. Um, so that's one thing. Then there's the debt ceiling. That's got to get passed by about mid-October, October 18th. That's where some big fighting's going on between Republicans and Democrats. But then there's the two you know, infrastructure bills. There's the social infrastructure bill. That's a $3.5 trillion bill. And the $1.2 trillion bipartisan bill. That's where, as you mentioned, there's fighting not only between Democrats and Republicans, but amongst the moderate and progressive Democrats. So it's really such a firestorm right now. It's incredible to watch. Funny to, to always see the debt ceiling as an issue here. Why does Washington not just permanently uh, you know, authorize raising it? Is it because they actually like the political fighting? What's the reason here? <laughs> you know, that's a good question. You know, it originally started back in 1917, if you can believe it or not, and they've had to raise it like 78 times. And the reason why they keep doing it this way is so that they can try to gain political advantage over the other party. I mean, that's basically it. And so it's it's a little bit of Russian roulette, no doubt, because the last thing we want to have, obviously, is is not to pay our bills. And that occurred in the Obama administration where there was some big fight between the control of the Republicans in the House and the Senate and the president at that time, President Obama. And the U.S. actually got downgraded by S&P from AAA to AA+. So that's at risk here, and, and it really would make things very interesting and very, very tricky for the financial markets should the U.S not be able to pass that debt ceiling increase. Talk about the significance of home sales, uh, even higher than expected in August. Yeah, it's kind of surprising, actually, because we just had yesterday the S&P Shiller come out and say this is the fastest rise on record year over year for a month at 19% plus. 
So um, there's just not a lot of uh, houses that are on the market. So to see home sales go up is, is really impressive. Um, it's emblematic of what's going on. Um, low interest rates, high demand, uh, millennial cohort moving out and, and wanting to buy a home, people wanting more space because they're either working from home or their kids are, you know, and virtually in school. So there's a lot of demand for larger houses and those generally are away from the cities out, you know, in the exurbs or the suburbs or really kind of close by cities. But that's what's driving so much of this demand. Thanks so much, Andrew Bush. You can find him online at andrewbush.com. Loaning useful information each weekday. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Certainly not a done deal yet, but the Bears' signing of a purchase agreement for the Arlington Park property signals a big step toward relocation to the northwest suburbs. Let's get a national perspective on the latest developments. Mike Florio is here, founder of ProFootballTalk.com. You can pre-order his new book, Playmakers. That's coming out in March. Uh, Mike, this is a trend with NFL teams, right? They want the bigger stadium. They want the... uh, the multiple revenue opportunities. Oh, absolutely. And they want the state-of-the-art technology with all the bells and whistles, especially with gambling spreading throughout the country, the legalized version of it, and the technology that will allow eventually in-game betting one play at a time. You've got to have the, the, the right quality of Wi-Fi to allow those bets to be processed and ideally sports books in the building, more ways for teams to make money off of the gambling that's going to be happening pretty much coast to coast before too long. Now, we saw the Bears were already in L.A. We saw that beautiful stadium. Uh, Have you seen any stadiums around the country where the the people have really been able to make them year-round destinations? Uh, A lot of people are saying, well, Soldier Field, you know, you use it eight, nine times out of the year, and that's it. Well, and you're absolutely right. The key is having a retractable roof as the proposed facility at Arlington Heights, if it happens, could have and would have and should have. Because what you ultimately want to do is have as many events as possible. You look at the stadium in Arlington where the Cowboys play. They have big-time events there, boxing matches, college football games, concerts. You want a venue that can be used 12 months out of the year. That's how it pays for itself. And and, and that's why I know the Patriots are one of the few teams that, that – privately and completely own their stadium the more events you can put on the more money you can make and the more practical it becomes from a business standpoint to not have a a venue that is paid for and in turn at least partially owned by the taxpayers because you need by the time what 20 years down the line they're already talking about replacing most stadiums so if you can't pay for it and make some money in pretty short order you're going to be in a tough spot when it comes time for an upgrade Oh, absolutely. And the newer stadiums are being designed in a way where they're building in all the space so any and all new technologies, cables, et cetera, can quickly be put in. And I think some of the venues that we've seen open in the past five, ten years, they're not going to become obsolete after 15 years. It always is confusing me, like the stadium in Carolina after 15 years, they're talking about a new one. It's like, you've only used it ten times a year for 15 years. Uh, why do you need a new one? Because it's the technology and these new ones are being engineered, thinking ahead so that they'll always be state-of-the-art. Yeah, so they'll be able to pivot when there's new technology. They can integrate it into that stadium. Yeah, that's what these teams are doing. That's what these stadiums are being built with. And uh, it, and that further justifies 
a huge investment in a stadium by a team, if they're going to own it themselves, if they know they're building something that's going to be there for 50 years and not become obsolete after 15 or 20, it's all the more reason to spend what it takes and start reaping the, the benefit of having 10 football games at the NFL level and whatever else you can attract there. Now, certainly not a done deal for the Bears yet by any means, but a big step forward as they sign this purchase agreement for the Arlington Park property. Thanks for the analysis, Mike Florio, founder of ProFootballTalk.com. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast cashing in with conversation the wbbm noon business hour continues stocks are mixed the dow up 86 nasdaq down 35 and the s&p up five points let's see what's going on michael palumbo is here founder of mjp capital author of the book calculated risk michael always good to have you on the show what do you make of what you're seeing on wall street today well good afternoon cisco and thanks again for having me on you know today is kind of a just a uh, retrenchment kind of day where, where, where we, don't, we don't have a lot of volatility. But uh, after yesterday, um, this is probably expected. Uh, I think there's more pain to come. Um, I think that, that this uh, move in bond yields is not over. 
And that's what's driving the, the sell-off, especially in the, the high beta names like technology. But today we have a little bit of a respite, so, uh, you know, we're going to see what happens going forward. But, you know, bond yields, again, are ticking up. And uh, if that keeps happening, that does not bode well, especially for technology. Yeah, talk about that. Uh, why are higher bond yields significant? Uh, it seems like there is some money that's headed that way. Right. So th this is uh, uh, you know something you you learn in business school: a discount cash flow model, which basically says that. Um, you're, if you have cash flows going on in the future, um, if interest rates rise, you have to that the value of those cash flows goes down. Uh, without getting into too much of the theory, it basically hurts tech stocks more than anything else. So as yields go up, it actually makes all asset values go down uh, because their their cash flows out in the future are not worth as much anymore. So so that will affect technology, and that's why you see tech getting hurt the most every time bond yields jump. And if if this thing keeps going, the you know the 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 area I'd be most concerned about again is technology. So uh, you've seen it. Uh, it feels worse than it has been so far because Nasdaq's only down five percent from its all-time highs. But it just, there's a lot of pain in individual names, especially the meme stocks, in crypto, in a lot of the areas that your retail investors are in. That's what's really getting slammed right now. So it, it feels worse than it is. But, it, you know, we'll see where yields go. If yields keep going up, there's going to be more pain. If you the, the advice on meme stocks, I mean, you just pretty much tell people to stay away from those more generally. Uh, there's problems with many of those companies and also <laughs> amazing volatility in those stocks. Yeah, Cisco, I, you know, I've been on here pounding the table for months saying stay away from meme stocks. Go with boring. Boring is good right now. Boring's been good for the last few months. We like Lowe's. We like Decker. Uh, these are low 20 uh, PE names. They're not all glamorous, you know, uh, like, like GameStop and AMC, which, you know, had shown a huge increases. But those stocks are – it's impossible to – find that their valuations make sense right now. And, you know, could they stay up here? Could they rise if there's enough investor demand? There will, it will. But if fundamentally these stocks are too high and they're going to probably come down. And, and I would stay away from all the meme stocks and go with boring. Boring is good right now. Yeah, and but I guess that needs a philosophical change for some people, right? Because they want the excitement. They want to be a millionaire overnight. The idea of slowly building wealth over time by picking good stocks, it's just not necessarily attractive to everyone. Yeah, and that's what works, and that's what Warren Buffett has done his whole career. Uh, but, you know, what's happened is, you know, the the risk-taking was rewarded for the last, you know, year up until about three four months ago so people have in the back of their mind all these stocks that have tripled quadrupled gone up 10 times all that stuff but that those days i think are are gonna at least in the short term be over and i think there's a lot of pain in these names that have risen so much that is still to come and you have a lot of retail investors poorly positioned they're in the wrong names right now they're in these these names that they think are going to triple quadruple and right now you're not looking to hit home runs you should be looking to hit singles yeah because some of those stocks i mean i'm thinking some of the travel stocks they took a big hit when covid first hit and, and they've rebounded some but they're not to the pre-pandemic levels people are assuming they're going to go back there and that that just may not be the case or at least not yeah, for a while 
that that's another that's another uh, good comment. I would say there. I think they're less risky than these meme stocks, just because I do think eventually we will have a more normalized travel situation. But yeah, certainly what we look at, what we like, are these. I mentioned Lowe's and Decker, just because these are names that are solid. That that COVID's not going to really affect. That a Fed tapering is not going to affect. That interest rates going up are not really going to affect. These are the kind of names that you should start rolling into and get out of some of these really high beta, scary, high volatility tech names. Thanks so much. Always good analysis from Michael Palumbo, founder of MJP Capital. Compounding your interest with an economy of words. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's Personal Finance Wednesday. There are tax policy changes being made in Washington, and it can affect your investments. We're joined by Ed Jertsen, certified financial planner, founder of Engage Wealth Group. You can find him online at engagewealthgroup.com. Uh, Ed, before we get into some of the things that people can do to protect themselves, do changing tax rates only affect you if you're going to be taking money out soon like if you're very near retirement or is this something that every investor no matter what stage of life they're in should be concerned about cisco it's a, it's a great opening comment i think every investor needs to be worried and or thinking about changes in the tax code so whether you're 25 65 or 85 changes in the tax code have dramatic effects if you're not paying attention to where those speed bumps are so right now, for example, with the retirement issues, are, are you are you thinking that people who are currently in the workforce need to consider a Roth versus a traditional IRA if they're going to take advantage of the current day tax rates? Yeah, looking at tax efficiency from a financial planning standpoint is something we focus very sharply on because we're not only thinking about tax effects today, but tax effects way into the future. So, for instance, traditional IRAs were at age 72, you're required to take money out. Um, at that point in time, at a certain specific percentage rate, can have dramatic effects not only in your taxes, but also things like your Medicare premiums and how much your Social Security is taxed. So all of those different elements need to be looked at very carefully through that tax lens. Does it matter where you're getting your money from, whether it's work or investments or otherwise? Yeah, that, that's a real important element because you've got wages that are income that are taxed. You have portfolios that if you have capital gains could be taxed and potentially even at higher rates, depending on what comes through Congress, as well as all the different elements in your financial life. So, yes, being paying particular attention to where that money is coming from and being strategic of where you take those assets from, especially in your retirement years, can be really helpful. So let's talk about uh, giving. A lot of times people think in terms of taxes, how, uh, how I, it affects my income, but there are also more tax advantaged ways and times to give money away. Yeah, and one in particular, we just talked about those required minimum distributions. And a growing trend is to use what's known as a qualified charitable distribution, meaning that instead of taking your required minimum distribution, you can give that money away to charity if it's a qualified charity. That helps reduce the income. In addition to if by chance they start lowering some of the threshold for estate taxes and estate thresholds, you can start giving money away to kids and or charities to begin with. So yes, when you're working through 
those elements in terms of giving money away. You want to make sure you're really focused on what asset will give you the most benefit in terms of getting that either deduction or that uh, reduced tax burden. And it sounds like a way to start giving away some of your money to your loved ones before you pass away in a way that minimizes their taxes. Exactly. And so, again, you're, you're trying to figure out ways that not only today but tomorrow but well into the future of minimizing that tax burden. And this is an excellent example, Cisco, of making sure your financial team, you've got a good tax professional, you've got a good estate planning attorney and, you know, you know, tooting the horn, a certified financial planner, making sure that that's a coordinated functioning group because all of these different elements affect all the different decisions that you're making. And that coordinated group and that coordinated effort can really pay off in the long run. Thanks so much, Ed Jertson, certified financial planner, founder of Engage Wealth Group. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Most people have more than one credit card. Keeping track of them can be a challenge. Let's talk about some of the common mistakes that can cost you. Bill Hardikoff, senior industry analyst at CardRates.com. Bill, I mean, the more credit cards you have, the more it seems difficult to keep track of the payments because they're all over the place each month. Cisco, you're absolutely right. One of the biggest drawbacks to having multiple cards is that if you are not financially disciplined, you can spend way too much. So if you're thinking about getting an extra card or maybe even more than that, the first question you need to ask is, am I financially astute and disciplined enough to control my spending? Because otherwise, you end up with all kinds of fees, interest. If, if you mess up those payments, even by a day, it can be costly. Absolutely. One of the uh, biggest risks of having multiple cards is missing the payments. You might get confused as to when to, when to pay what card. And, and what you need to do if you have multiple cards is really set up either automatic payments or if you're not into that, set up text or email alerts on both of the cards. That way, when it comes time for you to pay the bill, you get a text and an email reminder saying, hey, your bill's coming due. You can go write the check or pay it online right away and avoid that missed payment. If you miss a payment, it not only gives you an additional fee that you have to pay the credit card issuer but it can also severely damage your credit score. Is it wise to have a bunch of cards with annual fees? Some people have, uh, you know, they want airline miles, they want hotel or other travel points. Is it wise to have four or five cards that are all going to have an annual fee? Well, personally, I think not. About two-thirds of the cards out there on the market today do not have an annual fee. Some of the cards with an annual fee might have better rewards, but you have to do the mathematical calculation as to whether paying that annual fee is worth it compared to the amount of rewards that you're going to do going to get. The way you do that is figure out, gee, how much am I going to spend on this card? And will that more than pay for the annual fee relative to another card you might be able to get for free? I don't know if this is something that happens or not. Maybe you know this. You get a card and you have all kinds of points and you're trying to get as many as you can. Does it lead to overspending? Does it lead to people putting more on that card because they want those points or miles or or cash back or whatever it is that they get? Uh, Bingo, you just uh, really nailed what the issuer's hope happens to most consumers. They put those rewards out there hoping that that provides an incentive to overspend. 
and spend more on that particular card. So again, going back to my first point, it's very important. If you are going to have a credit card, you need to be financially disciplined. If you are not, uh, if you cannot control your spending, uh, it's much better to have a debit card or some other type of payment because a credit card with the high interest rates can really cost you a lot of money. Thanks so much for all of that analysis. Bill Hardikoff, really good stuff. Senior industry analyst at cardrates.com.